Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today, Lord, that we have an opportunity once again to be here to worship you, to praise you, to give honor to you, Lord. For we know that we're not even worthy to be in your presence. But because of the work of Christ at the cross, you have made it possible for us, Lord, to come to the very throne room of God through our prayers. And we're so thankful that you love us so much that you made it possible for us to participate in your good work in this world, Lord, as well as to participate in the kingdom of God and to be one of your children, Lord. And Father, we just ask today that you continue to teach us and equip us as we get into your word. Lord, may a blessing be poured out on each one of us. And Father, may we take your word and let it sink into the depths of our soul. And today, Lord, let us be closer to you than we were yesterday. And Father, our uh, tenacity to serve you be greater today than yesterday. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, today... We're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects in the Bible. And frankly, it's one of the, if not the, most terrifying subjects in the Bible. It is my favorite because it provides the answer to all of our problems. My problems, your problems, all of our problems. And it is the most terrifying subject because if we get it wrong, if you get this wrong, it has eternal consequences that cannot be undone because anyone who doesn't get it will be eternally separated from the love, mercy, and grace of God forever, eternal. And the topic we shall discuss today, you must be born again. You must be born again. It is critical that every person understands what it, what it means to be born again and to know that if they are, and to know whether you are born again or not. Are you a genuine believer, a genuine child of the Most High God, or are you a child of the devil? Today, I hope you can answer that question. Because after today's message, I hope you know the, the answer to this most important question. There's no question more important in your life than being able to answer this eternal question. It doesn't matter how much money you make in this world. It doesn't matter how big your house is, how wonderful your car is, how big your family is. If you do not know God, you need to understand how you know God. Because it's an eternal question with eternal consequence. There is not anything more important than knowing the answer to this question, and yet we make such light of it. The world makes such light of it. But we do not want to make light of it. And brothers and sisters, if you really do not know where you fit, and if you are a member of God's family, I pray today that God will open your heart to the message of Christ and that you would seriously consider and discover if you are born again. 
And that if you're not born again, that you would do the work to find out. Because again, there is nothing more important in your life than knowing the answer to this one question. Am I born again? And today we'll be examining our primary text, and it's found in John chapter 3. And as we head there, I'd like to give you a little bit of my background, my story of how I have came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it was kind of a treacherous uh, trek. I really didn't think that I was a huge sinner when I started to look at different religions and I was trying to figure out which religion do I want to serve? Which religion do I want to get involved with? I remember going and looking things like the New Age movement. I looked at books on uh, being a Muslim. I looked at all of this stuff and the, and, the, and the bookstores are full of these things when you go and look in religion. And uh, thankfully the Lord kept me away from a lot of those things. I even looked into Mormonism, things like that. And um, I remember, before I go any further with what I remember, I would like to say this, because in this story you're going to see some of these tensions. Brothers and sisters, the gospel offends. You have to be offended before you can be a believer. You have to be offended. You, as a believer sitting in the chairs here today listening to this message, you have to be willing to offend your neighbor. You have to be willing to offend them. Because if you are not willing to offend them, they'll never know Christ through the work that God is doing in your life. The cross is offensive. It's offensive. It is. It requires something of you. And I remember I was at my aunt's house one Christmas evening when I lived in Texas. And I drove down to her house in Houston. And they were very Christian people. And were not taken too well to my lifestyle. They were not taken too much to the kind of things that I like to watch on television. And I remember as I was watching television, them criticizing the TV shows that I was watching. I was offended. I was offended with what they were saying. I was offended that they thought that what I was watching was corrupt. which is nothing like the corruption we see on television today with all the homosexuality that's going on, with all the, the perverse things that's going on in the television sets today. How any of us can sit and watch a TV show that has that today is beyond me. But she was right and she offended me. And I remember her asking me things like, well, I, I would be flipping through her Bible and uh, and uh, she would be like, well, is there anything I can answer? Oh, no, no. I don't, there's nothing you can answer. And, and then she would wake me up on Sunday morning and say, you want to go to church? No, I don't want to go to church. Half hour later, he'd come in knocking the door. You want to go to church? No, I don't want to go to church. And then a little bit later, her son comes in. You want to go to church? No, I don't want to go to church. I'm getting mad. I'm getting mad. I don't want to go to church. I was offended. They wouldn't leave me alone. But brothers and sisters, finally, my cousin came in one more time and said, Dave, you want to go to church? Like, fine, I'll go to church. And I went to church. 
And I went to church with an attitude. But you know what? God worked on me in that church. The pastor, I don't even remember what he was preaching, but he was preaching to me. The Spirit has a way of working in an offended person's life. The first thing we have to understand is we are a sinner. Anybody that you want to share the gospel with, you need to make sure that they understand that they are a sinner. You can't go any further with the gospel until you understand that. You have to understand that. You cannot be a Christian and not understand that you are a sinner. You can't. You can't. And I've heard pastors preach, well, you know what? You don't, you don't need to preach about all that sin. People already understand that they're sinners, and no, they don't. People do not understand that they're sinners. No, they don't. They think you're self-righteous, and they think that you're pious, but they don't think that they are sinners because there's always somebody that's worse than them. There's always that person that murdered somebody and they're in prison. And I'm not as bad as that person over there. Yeah, I make mistakes. No, you sin. We have to start there. You are a sinner. And that's where my aunt started with me. I'm a sinner. Everyone in this room is a sinner. Every one of us. So brothers and sisters, let's take a look at John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. We got the most important thing out of the way that we understand that we are a sinner. And we're going to read chapter 1, or verse 1 through verse 10. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who had come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus answered, or I'm sorry, verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it will be with everyone born in the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how can this possibly be? And Jesus comment, you are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? So brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what your station is in life is. Nicodemus was a Pharisee and he was in the Sanhedrin. He was a top official and did not understand how to be a child of God. He was old and did not understand how to be a child of God. He did not understand it. 
See, the brothers and sisters, the unbeliever has a very real separation from God. Nicodemus here had a very real separation from God. And an unbeliever is headed on the wide gate that leads to hell, which is a very real place of eternal separation from God's love, His goodness and mercy. It is the place of eternal judgment. Not judgment of one day you might come back to God. It is eternal judgment. Who you will serve is decided while you're alive here today. When you die, then the judgment, and it's eternal. This place of eternal judgment is a place nobody should desire to go. And if you arrive in hell, you shall be eternally, forever, thousands and thousands and millions and millions and billions and billions and trillions and trillions of years, and on and on it goes. Never, ever, outside of the judgment of God. And at the moment, this is the condition we see Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And here's the thing, you can know scripture and not know God. You can know what the scriptures say and not know God. And you could be like the man who was next to Jesus sits across and Jesus said, surely today you will be with me in paradise, who did not know the scripture and was saved. Knowledge of scripture does not save you. Relationship with Christ does. And at this moment, Nicodemus he knew scriptures, and he knew it well, and he was a well-known Pharisee, and he was held in high esteem among his peers. Some of the texts that I've read in preparation here was that he was like the second highest in power. He was part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, and he was very wealthy. He had a lot to lose, and that's why he came to Jesus at night. Because he was curious. He was seeking. But he also knew he had a lot to lose if somebody seen him seeking. And at this time in history, Nicodemus was lost and was part of the very group who wanted Jesus destroyed. He was part of the group who wanted to see him destroyed. But over the next two years, possibly three years, from the time period of John chapter 3 to becoming a believer and participating in the burial of Christ in John chapter 19, verse 39 to the end of the chapter. Nicodemus became a believer. It didn't happen overnight, but he did. And you may even remember that Nicodemus somewhat defended Jesus before the Pharisees at the festival of booze. You remember that? When the other Pharisees were speaking against him and wanted to see him arrested, Nicodemus argued for right treatment of the accused, right treatment of Jesus until we found they got to the bottom of what was going on. He was trying to defend Jesus. And if you want to reference that later also, you can go to John chapter 7, 
verses 50 to 52, you can see that argument between Nicodemus and the other Pharisees. But needless to say, at this moment in time that he's talking to Jesus, Nicodemus had a lot to lose by being curious or choosing to believe Christ. Just like today, brothers and sisters, in this world, today in this America that we're in, there's going to come a point that us Christians are going to have a lot to lose. We're either going to stand up for Christ and lose a lot, or stand up for the world and lose our soul. Persecution's already heavily starting in this country, and it's like a, a snowball that's getting bigger and bigger. And you know as that snowball gets bigger, it turns into an avalanche. And it's going to hit us, the church, like a ton of bricks. Are we ready for that for the, in the church in America for the persecution that might, that not might come, but that is going to come? Are we prepared for that? Are we prepared to stand up and defend our faith? And brothers and sisters, silence to someone who needs to hear the truth of the gospel is just the same as thinking the same way they do. If you're silent to a drunk and tell a drunk, well, it's okay, don't worry about it, God will forgive you. If you tell a homosexual, God will take you just the way you are, you can continue to be a homosexual. You're participating in the very evil that they're doing. You have to offend them. And brothers and sisters, don't be angry with them. Don't be angry with the homosexual. Don't be angry with the drunk or the drug user. They are doing their job description. And it's time for the church in America to do its job description. To share the truth of the gospel with anyone who will listen to us and give us an ear. And it starts with you offending. Are you afraid to offend? Or we go, continue to go with the status quo. And let's see where it goes. Brothers and sisters, we should be spending our dollar to support those who support the gospel. To, to support those organizations that support right living. We can choose to continue to shop at places like Target, continue to drink Bush beer, and continue to participate in all these companies that are giving their finances, their money, to these organizations that are out to destroy the church. Make no mistake about it, that's their ultimate goal. When you belong to the devil, you're going to serve the devil. So brothers and sisters, do you serve Christ? Are you willing to serve Christ regardless of the cost to you? Nicodemus had to make that choice when he went to the burial of Jesus Christ. He had to make that choice. And this is why we see him coming to Jesus at night because he was not yet a believer, he was still a seeker. But think about this. He had everything to lose. Everything that he gained in this world. And Jesus said, what is it for a man 
to gain the whole world, yet lose his own soul. And brothers and sisters, if I'm offending you today, I'm doing my job. If I'm offending you, I'm doing what God has called me to do. I hope it doesn't stop at the offense. And if you're a believer and you are offended today, I hope it doesn't stop at the offense. We are God's army. He has given us armor. And he didn't give us armor for peace. And you see, Nicodemus, he had an education. He knew the scripture. And yet Jesus called him out. Jesus called him out. He came at night and said, For no one could perform these signs if, the, if God was not with him. True. That's very true. Jesus could not have done the work that he did if God was not with him. And brothers and sisters, if you're doing the work of God, the work of God that you're doing can't be done unless God is with you. But if you are doing the work of God, God is going to be with you. Which brings me to our second point today, that he is the way to life. Jesus is the way to life. So let's look at verse 3 of John chapter 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Jesus wanted to drive this point home to Nicodemus. This scripture says very truly, but if you look at the actual text, it says truly, truly. Jesus is repeating himself because what he's about to say is highly important. And brothers and sisters, there's nothing more important that Nicodemus needed to hear than what followed truly, truly. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus wanted to drive this point home to Nicodemus. He wanted him to understand this. He wanted him to understand the gravity of being born again so much that he repeated himself. Truly, truly, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Another way to say this is now listen closely. Now listen closely. Pay close attention. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. After all, these are the words of eternal life. In that one sentence, the words of eternal life. No one, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What did Jesus mean here, born again? What did he mean? What was he trying to say? What was he trying to say? Our natural question is, how do I? How do I get saved? How do I? Underscore that. How do I? How do I do that? How? What is the way that I get saved? What is the magic formula for me to be saved? And you notice the word in there, how do, and the third word, how do I? Here's the beauty of it. You can't. You can't do anything. Anything at all to be saved. Nothing. If you don't believe that, read the story of the woman at the well. 
Read the story of uh, Paul on the road to Damascus. Read those stories. They didn't do anything to get salvation, nothing. They couldn't do anything. It is totally outside of them. How many of us helped with our birth? How many of us helped in our conception? Did you have any choice to be born physically? Did you have any choice? Any choice whatsoever? And yet here you are. You didn't participate in any way, and you're here. Isn't that exciting? You do not have to do anything to be saved, nothing. In fact, if you do anything, you're not saved. If you participated in any way in your salvation, you are not truly born again. Because it was the work of Christ at the cross that saved you. It was His work. You can say, well, it was my decision. I don't know about that either. I'm not so confident of that anymore. Brothers and sisters, look at the scripture. Look at the woman in the well. Read the story of the woman of the well. Read the story closely. Read the story of Paul on the road to Damascus. And show me where either one of these individuals had a choice of their eternal life. Show me. Eternal life is all by the work of Christ. All by the will of God. You, you, you definitely, why don't you have eternal life? If you do not have it, you didn't ask. The woman at the well asked Jesus, John chapter 4, if you want to look at that later also. The woman at the well asked Jesus, what must I do? How? How do I gain salvation? Because Jesus told her, he told her, you know, I ask you for something to drink. And if you knew who it was that was asking you for something to drink, he would have given you rivers of living water. And what was her question? How do I get this living water? How do I get this living water? She's asking them. She's asking them. And her and her whole town was saved. Brothers and sisters, being born again is the work of God. It's His work. That means you don't have to worry about what to do. He's done it. You're a sinner. What could you possibly do to fix that? What can you possibly do to wash yourself clean? What? What can you do? Eddie, can you wash yourself clean? I can't wash myself clean. Just curious. You can't wash yourself clean. It's the blood of Christ. It is no longer I who live, but him who lives in me. So the righteousness that I have, the righteousness that's within me, is because of the righteousness of God that's in me, not because of the me who was nailed to the cross that we talked about earlier. The sin that was nailed to the cross. But the righteous me lives because Christ lives in me. 
You don't have to worry about living a righteous life once you're a true believer because you will live a life deserving of salvation because Christ lives in you. He makes you holy. He does it. And the sin that you commit, you remember what the Apostle Paul said about the sin that he commits? It is no longer I sin, who sin, but this flesh that sins. It's not me. The old dead self is what is sinning, but me who is alive in Christ is not the one who is sinning. I serve God. Peter, when he denied Christ three times, served God. He was a child of God. A child of God. Judas was not a child of God. He did not serve God. He never served God. He never did. Peter, what did he do when he sinned? He ran to the Lord. And the Lord restored him. Three times he sinned, the Lord restored him three times. Judas sinned and committed suicide, another sin. Brothers and sisters, when Christ lives in you, you do not have to worry about your salvation. You have him. You are going to desire to serve him. You're going to desire to be with him. You're going to desire for his will to be completed in your life. And Nicodemus didn't understand how he could be born into his mother's womb a second time. He was a smart man. He obviously understood that that can't happen. Jesus told him that you can, in verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of what? Water and spirit. And you see, water represents spiritual cleanliness and purity. And we can see this in the Old Testament. Let's take a moment and turn to Numbers. Chapter 19, verses 17 to 19. Numbers chapter 19, verse 17. For the unclean person put some ashes from the burnt purification offering into a jar and pour fresh water over them. And there are many, many different verses that we can see in the Bible where water represents purifying ourselves, purifying ourselves from sin. It's purification. It's washing yourself clean of sin and the Spirit. And we know that Christ died on the cross. It was His blood that paid for our sin. He washed us clean. It was God who washed us clean, not our own effort. It was His effort that washed us clean. And in verse 18, then a man who is ceremonially clean is to take some hyssop, dip it in the water and sprinkle the tent and all the furnishings, and the people who were there. He must sprinkle also anyone who has touched a human bone, or a grave, or anyone who has been killed, or anyone who has died a natural death. The sprinkling of water is representing cleanliness before God, and cleanliness not of our physical body, but the washing away of our sin. See, in order to be born again, we need to be spiritually clean and without sin. 
And the only way that this is possible for us to be spiritually clean and without sin is someone had to substitute our place. And that was Jesus. See, any of us who would have died at the cross could not pay for the sins of the world. We are blemished. We are flawed. Christ lived the perfect life without sin as a human being, fully man, fully God, died at that cross as the cleansing sacrifice for our sin, washed clean because of his work. We do not have it within ourselves to be born from above. It takes the work of God. And I love in verse, I think it's verse 6. So I'm not going to have enough time to go through everything that I have to share today. But I know, in, I think it's in verse 6 of John chapter 3. Can you put that up on the screen, Scott? John chapter 3 and verse 6. Very important. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit, verse 7. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Verse 8 says, the wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Just like you do not know who in this room today is going to be saved by the work of the Spirit, you don't know. At the same time, when you're out sharing your faith with people and you are willing to offend, you never know when the Spirit's going to speak to that person and they're going to be brought to eternal life through the work that God did through you participating in the work He is doing in this world today. Every believer in this room should be participating in the work that Christ is doing today. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that you may be able to do them. That's Ephesians 2.10. But brothers and sisters, we can take and have confidence in the work of God. And know this, unfortunately in the church today, you turn on the television, you can go to the TBN network, you can go to many, many churches today, and they preach a cheap grace. A cheap grace. A grace that does not genuinely save. Oh, it's all right, you'll be fine. I was watching a baptism on YouTube the other day at this church. I won't mention the name of the church, but I was watching this baptism on YouTube, and the girl was asked, why are you being baptized? And she said this. She says, I'm being baptized because I believe God brought me here so I can be a blessing to the animal kingdom. And by me being baptized, I can participate in helping the animal kingdom be protected. 
She totally missed the whole point of baptism. Baptism, we believers are being buried with Christ to death. We are being buried with Him. We are immersed in the water, buried with Him. And when we come out of that water, we are raised to life with God. And I watched probably 30 baptisms from this church and not one of them, not one of them gave a testimony as to the new life that God gave them and how it's changed them from who they once were to who they now are. Completely missed the whole point. And this is supposed to be a Christian church. Cheap grace. There's no such thing. Grace is costly. Christ went on that cross and paid a great penalty for our sin. It's not cheap. It costs something tremendous. And in many cases, the ministry of our Lord provides a sharp contrast to today's contemporary evangelical confusion. Jesus was not interested in shallow responses or quick pseudo-conversions. Jesus scared more people away from being believers than came into believing. Jesus didn't want you to follow Him if you didn't want to follow Him to serve Him, to be part of His kingdom and according to His will, not your will. If your will was in any way part of it, Jesus, you remember the, the rich man? Jesus said, what? Go sell everything that you have and come and serve me. The man went away sad. Brothers and sisters, if that rich man would have walked into it, almost any church in America today, he would have been welcomed with open arms and said, yes, you are a believer. And Jesus sent him away. Salvation's costly. Salvation will cost you something. Jesus said, the world hated me, it's going to hate you too. Don't believe it? John 6, 66 says this, from this time, many of his disciples turned their back and no longer followed him. Many of his disciples turned their back and no longer followed him. What about what Jesus warned in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There will be many that will say, Lord, I cast out demons in your name. And Jesus will tell them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Matthew 7, 21 to 23 is where you'll find that. Jesus made it clear that a true follower must deny himself. Deny himself. We have to deny ourselves. Take up our cross daily. Not weekly, not monthly. Take up our cross daily and follow Christ. We see that in Luke 9.23. John 15, I'm going fast guys because we're running out of time. John 15.18-27 to 27 says this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 
If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. See, there it is again. Who chose who? Jesus chose you. Jesus chose you. You didn't choose Jesus. I didn't choose to believe. You didn't choose to believe. Jesus chose you. I chose you out of the world. And that's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you as a servant. A servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And we have been blessed in America. We have not seen a lot of persecution. But we are going to see persecution coming, brothers and sisters, if this train continues on the path that it's on. Make no mistake about it. But no, Christ was persecuted. You will be also. Count it as a blessing. Count it as a blessing. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours. So if you go out into the world and you're sharing something with somebody and you offend them, and then all of a sudden they start obeying the things that you're teaching, that's because Christ was working in you. They obeyed him, now they're obeying you. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. They don't know the one who sent me. They don't know the Father in heaven. The Father in heaven sent Jesus. They don't know him. So they don't know. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of their sin. But brothers and sisters, here it is, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates my father, or whoever hates me, hates my father as well. And we're talking about the true Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not the pseudo-Jesus that so many Americans are making up today, but the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who was a man who would stand up and tell you if you were a liar. He would tell you if you were a sinner. He would tell you if you were headed to the gates of hell. That's the Jesus we serve. And he's also going to be the one that tells his saints, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. We do not serve a weak God. We do not serve a weak Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you have a power in you. You have no idea if you just tap into it. The power of Jesus. The power of the Spirit of God living in you. Living in you to do His work. To be bold. To go out and proclaim His name to the world. To anyone who will listen. And if they won't listen and they're offended, they will go away in their iniquity and sin and will be without excuse. And God has called you and me to do His good work to the last breath we take. You do not retire from Christianity. You do not retire from being God's child and to do His work. Jesus served God to the day he hung on that cross and died. And then he was rose again and served God until the day he was ascended into heaven and is still serving God the Father today. But know this, they hated Jesus without reason and they're going to hate you without reason. But if you are hated, rejoice that you are loved and the, you are beloved. 
by God, he loves you. Worship him, praise him, glorify his name. Give thanks to him for all that he does and is doing in your life. Let him continue to change you. Let him continue to beat down the sin that is in your life. Let him continue to make you feel uncomfortable with that sin to the point that you are cleaner today than you were yesterday. He will. He will. We all battle it. Don't let it be an excuse to continue to live in it. Take it to him every time you sin. Take it to him and confess it immediately. Don't run like the sinner does. Don't run away like Judas did and hang yourself. Run to the cross and say, Lord, I did it again. Help me. Help me. How do I get this eternal life, Lord? You get it by asking. Asking. He has an open door. Ask him. Follow him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And Lord, we know that you are not interested in divided hearts. You want us to be all in. You want us to serve you. And Father, though we still sin, though we still fall short of your glory, we know that we can bring our sin to you. We can confess it because you said if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father, for any of us today who have sinned, let us take a moment and bring that before you, Lord, and confess it, and you wash us from it. And Lord, the next time we sin, just remind us to bring it to you because we are only righteous because of your work. And let this fleshly body that sins continually remind us that we only find our righteousness in you and you alone. We know that we do good works because we are saved. We know we can't do them to be saved. And we ask, Lord, that anybody here today that doesn't know you, that they would come to you, Lord, and just say, Lord, I want eternal life. And Lord, with the genuine heart, you accept them into the kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.